When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, former mayor of a California beach town and best-selling author of, well, you'll have to figure that out, <laughs> Debbie Peterson. <laughs> Sorry about that, Debbie. Also okay, coming to you later. live, we'll talk about what you're a best-selling author of later. Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, the list goes on and on. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for today. John Suzuki. No, he didn't invent the motorcycle, but uh, let me briefly introduce. John's not a professional caregiver. Rather, he's a regular guy who found himself as a caregiver one day when his mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. John is also the author of a new incredible book on the true story about the true story of uh, concentration camps in America during World War II and the Japanese men who volunteered to fight with the U.S. Army while their families were still imprisoned by the U.S. Army, which sounds like a great historical book you may want to read one day. But John's not here to talk about his book today. Instead, I asked John to share his experiences with you as someone who had the responsibility of caring uh, for his mother, and it was thrust upon him when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and the heartbreaking lessons he learned as he saw his mom's light fade every day until she finally passed away. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Sherelle Mills. I'm sorry, Sherelle Mims. <laughs> She's president and founder of Global Caregiver Network, LLC, the best-selling author of A Caregiver's Expression, an anthology. Just got to get the marbles out of my mouth today. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to this interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio and video platforms and networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. John, so great to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dave. I always like to ask my guests just who is John Suzuki and why was he placed on his earth? Well, you know, um, wow. That's a heck of a way to start an interview. <laughs> so, right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not a professional caregiver, as you said up front. And so just full transparency, I'm just a regular guy that was kind of thrust into the role. And um, and here to share a little bit about that experience. But, you know, it's interesting that you asked the question, why, why, why I think I was placed here. I think I, I have a really clear answer for that, actually. I think all of us have been, are, you know, we all have different purposes, but I think we all share one purpose, and that is to make the world better than the day we landed on it by loving one another. 
you know, and I think that if 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 when all is said and done and in the final analysis and wherever we go after this, we can say, yeah, we I did my part to make the world a little bit better and I help people love each other. Um, I think we're going to be OK, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's a shame yeah. more parents don't tell their kids that that is their yeah, purpose you know, in life. And there'll be so many wasted lives in this earth when it's all said and done. And that's what causes midlife crises. You get about halfway through and you say, what have I done? Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if I was never born, would the world ever miss me? You know? Yeah. The good news uh, is that you're only halfway through. So you got another half to make up for it. So it's true. good. It's good. That's true. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get into this. What, what was it like for you when the months leading up to your mom's Alzheimer's diagnosis started hitting you that, uh, oh my gosh, this is real. It was it was really hard. It was really hard, and I I just want to I just want to apologize up front in case I I, I lose it a little bit. Um, it's well, been a long okay. time, yeah. And uh, but it's it's still very raw. I think it'll be raw for the rest of my life. But you know, in the months leading up to her diagnosis, um, it was it was hard. It was hard because because we we suspected something was going on uh, because we kept having to repeat ourselves, and um, it was not only concerning; it was really frustrating. You know, what's wrong with you, mom? Why? I just told you this, right? And, um, <clears throat> and she was in her eighties at the time. Uh, and so it was, it was trying to figure out, you know, what's going on here. And finally it was my sister who said, you know, we need to find a neurologist for mom and, uh, and have her, have her checked out. Wow. And you did. Yeah. So, we, yeah. In, in, in a matter of about two and a half, maybe about, I was going to say two and a half seconds, maybe 30 seconds. <laughs> the, the neurologist said, yeah, she's got Alzheimer's. And um, and he recommended a drug called Namenda, which um, which he told us at the time. It was really interesting. He told us at the time had a five-year shelf life and, um, and that it would slow down the progress of Alzheimer's. Um, but that uh, once that five years was up, um, so too would be her life. And it was interesting because almost it seemed like almost to the day um, of that five-year anniversary, uh, my mom passed away. Did it really slow it down? And did she have any side effects from it? She didn't have any side effects from it. Um, I think oh. it slowed it down uh, because we were able to we were able to spend a little bit more time with her, and and she uh, seemed to remember a little bit more, at least her memory didn't fade as, as quickly as it seemed to be fading before oh. she got on the, on the medication. Um, but you know, it was all about quality of life and, yeah. um, you know, trying to, trying to figure out how to make her as comfortable and, and live, live as much of a great life as she could with the time she had left. What was the name of it again? And, and how do you spell it? Namenda, N-A-M-E-N-D-A. Namenda. Yeah. Yeah. John, what did you do? What was your day job? What did you do when you, yeah. you know, it, this with your mom? Yeah, it was really tough. I was, I've, I've been in uh, technology all my life. And so I was working for um, a travel company and I was traveling kind of three weeks out of the month, you know? And mm -hmm. so it, 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 stuff like this never hits you at a good time. Um, there's never a good time. There's never a right time. 
and everybody's busy. I mean, our our society and the, the Western society and Western culture is all about working and our especially in the United States, mm-hmm. our identity is all based around our work. And so it was it was really hard. It was hard for me um to be able to take care of her and and at the same time i was living in seattle and she was living in in los angeles and so um i i was able to find a very good friend who wanted to take care of her um and uh who took care of her for the first year of those five years um and then eventually it got to the point to where um i needed to step in and so we actually moved my mom to seattle uh, whether that was the right thing to do or not, I don't know, but I wanted her to be with me. And, um, and I actually, uh, brought her, brought her, uh, to live with us. Um, and, uh, so I kind of took over my, my wife and I took over as her caregiver. How did you get her up there? I mean, a lot of, uh, people with dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, are old and frail and, uh, they don't like planes. I mean, did you go down there and all three of you came back or how, how was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I went down there and we drove back up. Oh, and we made it we made it an adventure, you know? I mean, we uh-huh. made it we made it a nice little uh road trip for her and uh, so that she could she could see things along the way. So, um, you know, every every step we tried to figure out, okay, what uh, what would what would be the best mm. thing for mom, you know? And uh and it was hard. It was hard because, you know, life, you have a you have this other you have this other life. Uh, called your life, you know, that, that you have to live. And, um, and it just, you know, it's, you, you, the one thing, the one thing that struck me about, about kind of being thrust into the role, um, there was nothing that could prepare me for it. Uh, there, there was nothing, you know, and of course it was my mom, right. And, and um, uh, she was an amazing woman. And I mean, she was, uh, she was Yeah. Was your mother, um, I know you wrote about the concentration camps and the, the um, <clears throat> soldiers, <laughs> the Japanese-American uh-huh. yeah. soldiers who mm-hmm. fought from the camps um, in World War II. Was your mother actually in one of those camps? No, my mom was actually in Japan. So <gasps> oh. she, was, she was on the receiving <laughs> end of, of the bullets and the bombs, uh, the American bullets. Oh, my. And, um, you know, she, she was the uh, eldest of seven children. And so she, uh, was the caregiver to, you know, her family because her, her dad went off to war. Mm -hmm. Um, but she, she was, uh, she was in Japan. My dad was actually, uh, fighting in the United States Army against the Japanese. My book is about, is, is about the men who fought in Europe. My dad was part of a group called the Military Intelligence Service, which was a top secret group of Japanese Americans whose job were, was to decode, negotiate, um, interrogate Japanese soldiers. And the thing people don't know about that, first of all, most a lot of people don't know about this group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then, the Japanese government considered everybody who was Japanese as a Japanese national. So if they were... If they Five. were exactly, they would have been, they, they were shot as traitors um, <laughs> to Japan. And so, and the other thing was that, was that uh, as far as, as far as I know, they were the only soldiers, um, uh, American soldiers who ever had to have American soldiers as bodyguards. So they wouldn't be shot and mistaken for the enemy. <laughs> and so, uh, but my dad was part of that, was part of that group. And, and after the war was over, 
uh, he spent time in, in Japan during the rebuilding and met my mom and had me and lived happily ever after. <laughs> so, yeah, I want the timeline here. So your mom was in Japan uh, during the internment. Mm-hmm. But where was she? Where was she during uh, the Nagasaki and the Hiroshima bombings? Oh, so uh, okay, you're bringing this up. So she was she was in uh, a little town outside of Nagoya, um, which was away from uh, it was north and east away from um, Nagoya, uh, Nagasaki, and Hiroshima. But I do want to share a very interesting story, and this is something that hardly anybody ever ever thinks of. But in 1973. I went to Japan. I was 12 years old at the time. And um, I went to Japan for the first time with my mom and my sister. And when we went there, um, we went to my grandmother's house. And as we walked in, she got down on her knees and she bowed to my sister and me. And we're looking at each other like, what, what, why is, why is grandma bowing? And she got up and we had a conversation and she, she, she was honoring us as Americans. I'm like, okay, so help, help us understand. I was 12 years old at the time, but I knew what was going on. And she explained to us, among other things, <clears throat> that the bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima saved her life. She said millions, up to a million people, and, and I think she used the word plural, plurally, um, would have died had those bombs not been not been dropped because everybody would have killed themselves. They were ordered to kill themselves. And so because the bombs were dropped, um, the emperor surrendered unconditionally and told everybody to come out, right? And don't kill yourselves. Um, my my grandmother and my my aunties and uncles, they all had their own swords, you know, small swords that they were given um, to to kill themselves. And so it's really interesting, as 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 terrible as that was. Um, those bombs uh, shortened the war and saved and yeah. saved million civilian well, lives. That was the logic of why it was done, you know. And uh, yeah, and so to hear from my grandmother, it'll be deb- debated forever. Yeah, yeah. But to hear right from my wrong. grandmother and yeah. and and yeah. from her, I wouldn't be here right now <laughs> having this well, conversation with you. You know. So. And it's so relevant because right now the <clears throat> book and the movie Oppenheimer is out and yeah. there was so yeah. much angst surrounding all of that on, I guess, on both sides. So, well, we're, mm-hmm. As you say, we're all people. We're all really a- out of the same bucket. <laughs> yeah, we're not we separate are. Buckets. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's we are. I mean, it's we, you know, somehow during the generations, I'm just going to give you a little math problem. Okay. Um, I've come to realize mm-hmm. that if you take two people, it takes two people to have a baby, right? Then two, t- then two, then two, then two. If you take, if you take two to the, I don't know, 80th power, which is 80 generations. Sound like a computer geek. Right? <laughs> Not really, but it's pretty cool. But we got, that's one septillion people. There's never been even a trillion people. I mean, it goes billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, septillion, sextillion. It's one six sextillion people. And so you sit there and go, there's never been that many people on the planet. So how do you explain that? Because it's math. Well, you explain that by intermingling. So if you then take that concept of intermingling, everybody on this planet mathematically is related to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and by Most that- Most traditions say that. Right? <laughs> 
right? And so this this universal energy, I am convinced the universal energy that people talk about is love. And so if we can if if we can somehow communicate that and convince people that you know that uh, that we're all in this together, you know maybe maybe we can maybe we can make a make make a good change. Yeah, like the Beatles said, all you need is love. All you need is love. That's right. That's right. But my my mother, um, as as a caregiver to her brothers and sisters, uh, another quick story about World War II. Um, they didn't have food in Japan. Uh, there was nothing there because everything was bombed. And so one day my mom found a peanut and um, she decided that she was going to plant this peanut to make more peanuts. And so she planted this peanut and waited for this crazy thing to grow. And she waited days and weeks, then, then a month or two, and the thing didn't grow. And so she got really frustrated one day and she just decided you are worthless. So she yanked the thing out of the ground. And when she yanked the thing out of the ground, she found hundreds of peanuts. <laughs> she didn't know that peanuts grew under the ground. <laughs> I don't think I knew that either. Peanut tree, right? <laughs> and she said that was the best meal of her entire life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she, uh, you know, she took care of all of her, all of her siblings and, um, and they they survived and and thrived after the war. Yeah. Well, you know, karma. Uh, you were you and your sisters were her caregiver, and mm -hmm. so she was getting repaid. And I always tell people, you know, be careful how you treat your elders because your children are watching you. You know, and if you're treating them with disrespect and what have you, you're going to be the same, uh, going to have the same treatment. So um, I know it was really hard watching your mother fade away. Um, how bad was it in the beginning and how bad was it in the middle and how bad was it at the end? I mean, how fast or slow did it progress and what different stages did you have to go through and change your strategies as she entered these stages? Yeah. So the hardest, the hardest phase was probably happened uh, on the second year really? um, was when we couldn't, we didn't, I couldn't take care of her because she was, she was leaving the house and she was wandering. She was wandering, right? And and one day she she wandered um, out in the snow, and uh, it became really really dangerous. And that was and and this was two o'clock in the morning. Um, and so the hardest, uh, the most heart wrenching decision was making the decision that she had to go to assisted living. Sure. Um, and so, uh, and of course, she knew what was going on at the time, and um, I was really? lucky. I, I, yeah, she, 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 I mean, she wasn't completely there, but she, she knew what was happening. And, um, uh, she was a very, she was a very Japanese woman, uh, in the sense that she was very obedient. And I was the oldest son, um, of my, of my family. And so she looked to me as being the authority after, after my dad passed away. And so, uh, basically what I said, was what happened you know what i said goes um and i never took advantage of that i never ever 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 took advantage of that and i, I just want to share one thing i hear so many stories of people who feel and believe that their parents inheritance is somehow theirs and that that their parents money is the children's money i'm here to tell you that from my perspective and my experience 
It's your parents' money. And every penny that I spent of my mom's money went to her care. I didn't buy a car for myself. I didn't buy, I did nothing, right? I, she didn't even pay rent. I didn't even, I, I didn't even pay any, uh, I, I paid her bills out of my money. I, and so, um, so everything, everything I did was to honor her. And I share that because um, the, 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 the back end of it, after all is over, you have to, you're accountable to yourself. And at some point in time, you talk about karma, Dave. <laughs> um, that stuff hits your spirit. And so, you know, it, it's it's all about if, if you are given the honor, I really do call it an honor and an opportunity to be a caregiver. Um, it's uh, It comes with a lot of responsibility especially if you're if you're doing it for a loved one and in a lot of ways even more so for people you don't know sure. um, but um but yeah it was uh taken and then and then so i put her in a in a assisted living center and then she escaped she escaped this really she escaped Smart lady. I, get, I get a i get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night by the seattle police department saying um, saying we're at your mom's um, assisted living center and she's disappeared. You might want to get over here. So I, I went down there and um, and uh, eventually, to make a long story short, uh, they put an all points bulletin out for my mom, <clears throat> uh, streets of Seattle, and the police officer said, Mr. Suzuki, you're going to want to get in your car and help us find her. And um, it, it, was a, it was one of those great miracles that happened, but I found her very, very quickly. Um, and uh, she was about uh, a mile away. She had walked about a mile away. And so, you know, the, it's really important to find uh, the right caregivers and the right people with the right facilities, because even after so we, that episode ended and we went, we, we, we talked to them and they said, okay, we, we know what we're going to do now. We're going to lock everything up. Then I get another phone call th- about a month later, um, again, from the, P- from the Seattle police department. And then I'm told that they had picked her up on the freeway, on the main oh. freeway that was driving through Seattle, five freeway. And then um, as I'm talking to the Seattle Police Department, my front door, I get a knock at the front door, and it's my it's my city police department, Bellevue, um, wanting to talk to me about my mom having been found. And why was she found on the freeway? And are you an abusive son? <laughs> and and so the, the Seattle Police Department had taken her to the hospital, and I convinced them, and my sister somehow, they somehow found my sister in San Francisco, who was also on the phone. It's just crazy. And, and, um, and so somehow she found herself on the freeway. Um, this is a story of making sure that whoever you have taking care of your, your loved ones with dementia or Alzheimer's have a secure facility. And so I went and uh, picked her up at the hospital. And uh, then we found another place that was, that was designed and uh, built for uh, folks with wanderers. Yes, I'm curious. I, I about that. You know, you seem to have such um, kind, strong, wonderful values. Where did those come from? My mom. Mm. My mom. So it was karma. 
it, it is it, karma. Yeah, yeah, and and mm. and doing doing what I could to give it back to her. You know, mm. um, my I, I think my strength and you know my uh, you know the the provider part of me came from my dad, right? Um, but the loving part of it, the unconditional loving loving part of it, definitely came from my mom. Um, did your dad need a caregiver as well, or did he? No, you know, sadly, sadly, he he passed away in his sleep. Well, yeah, that's the way I want to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I wasn't there. He was he was he was living in Los Angeles, and I was in Seattle at the time. And he was in good health. Uh, 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 well, you know, a, a little bit of failing health. He he had a uh, he had a tough health history. Um, of course, he grew up in a time when uh, they didn't know as much about health as we do now. Uh, smoked like a chimney, drank like a sailor. Oh. <laughs> so your mom was his caregiver, basically. Yeah, yeah, among yeah. other people. Yeah, and and so um, so he he actually died of a heart attack. Mm. And, um, uh, but he he didn't he didn't go through the process of having a caregiver. The other thing I wanted to share was that um, you know once we found this uh, our second place to take to take my mom, we thought it was great. We thought everything was there. Um, but we, we later learned, um, that in my haste to move her into another more secure facility, um, I moved her into a facility where the security wasn't there, but the caregiving wasn't that great. And, um, and so about six months later, uh, she was failing and they actually put her in hospice care. Really? um, I talked to my my mom's neurologist, and he says, "You know, you, you might want to just have someone go check that place out." So we had somebody uh, check check out my mom, and as we're in her room, she's dialing her phone. This lady is fi- dialing her phone, saying, "We need an ambulance here, stat. Get an ambulance here, stat. This lady is leaving this facility right now." I didn't know what was going on. She makes another phone call to somebody saying, I am bringing a patient to you. Have your, have your staff ready. She's going to be there within 45 minutes. So I'm going, what is going on? Right. Well, it turns out that my mom was the care that she was given was almost, was almost killing her. And, um, she was, she'd been constipated for four days and, um, and the drug, they were, they were overdosing her with morphine and which was, which was causing the constipation. Sure. And so this lady, this lady, um, with the ambulance comes, we follow the ambulance and they took her to this adult home care facility, which was just a house. It was a house instead of a hospital, instead of a hospital. But it was it was a it was a facility that was run by a woman who knew how to care for elderly people. Oh wow! And so I'm like, oh, oh I, I don't know you people. Who are you, right? And so they said, listen, just leave your mom here. You you and my mom was in absolute agony. I mean, she was in she she was she was in agony. And so, <clears throat> all right, John, come on. And so, um, they said, just leave her here. Leave her here. And give us 48 hours. And so left her there, didn't know what's going on, right? And so came back 48 hours, 40 hours later, and my mom was sitting in, in this recliner chair um, in the living room. And it was like she was 30 years younger. Her <laughs> eyes were bright, 
Her skin was, her skin had color. She was smiling. She recognized me. And, um, and I just went, wow. So, uh, and that's, that's who she stayed with until, um, until she passed away. Wow. Totally comfortable, loving environment, people who really cared about her. And so we went through um, a little bit of a journey that uh, I regret. And I feel like, I feel like um, I could have avoided because I was always in a hurry. I was always in a hurry because I was always working and I didn't have time. And I had to, I just take your time in, in deciding on the right healthcare for your, for your, Mm -hmm. for your loved ones. Um, Because there are good ones out there and there are not so good ones out there. And there are great ones out there and there are really bad ones. out there. Well, John, it sounds from the way you tell your story and from having spoken with you the first time we all met, It sounds to me, too, that a lot of times your decisions weren't even as much motivated by haste as they were motivated by an intense desire to um, an emotion to get to get things taken care of. Yeah. And and probably the, you know, good, good emotions, good intentions, but maybe too hasty, not because you were in a hurry because you had to work almost, but because you wanted to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Debbie, because um, uh, it, it was th- my spirit was there that I wanted to do, do right by my mom. Right. And I wanted to get her, get her the heck out of that first place. Um, then I wanted to get her the heck out of the second place. Um, but as I look back, you know, um, uh, I could have been more deliberate in, uh, in the decisions that I made. Um, so is that your, what is your advice to other people? How would you, how would you advise other people to avoid the circumstances you found yourself in and not of your own doing the, the failings right. of the people you took your mother to weren't your failings. They were their failings. It's just that you were the victims. Yeah. You know, they have, they have these, um, these services, they're, they're services that offer you, uh, recommendations and um, different facilities, and and they they they're paid by the facilities, which is which is a little bit a little bit of a conflict of interest from from my perspective. But at the same time, um, they're they're giving you names and providers for you to go and take a look at. Um, you know, understand, figure out first first of all, you got to figure out what resources you have. You got to figure out the um, the budget that you have. And um, and work within that budget. Um, my mom, my my mom, my dad had uh, left my mom with enough money to take care of her for the rest of her life, and so I had the I had the financial resources that I could have spent. And had I known about these family family care centers that are located in homes that are very very hands on, there were uh, five there are five or six people there um, as patients. And uh, three people on staff all the time, and so that's one to two. And so um, I could have, had I known about that, I would have, I would have put her in that. I mean, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, the biggest thing, and I, I say this in business, and I say this in in anything when you're talking about services, get references, talk to people, talk to people who were there, talk to people who are there, right. 
and 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 try to try to talk to people you know try to talk to people who who are experienced with their service if you talk to them if you talk to people who are using their services today um they might not be as open to tell you the things that they might want to tell you as people who are no longer there right um who no longer have their loved ones there talk to those people find out why their loved ones aren't there if they if they're passed if they passed away that's one thing but if they're still alive and they moved them out of there find out why i think that would that yeah. is you know that is the so so references um references are good to a point uh but to me in this case find references who um who moved and why yeah. that's great advice john hey, i can't believe how fast our time has gone today um how can our listeners reach you if they want to maybe ask some more advice or maybe if they want to read your book uh, yeah how would they reach yeah. you well thank you um uh, they can go to John Suzuki, just like the motorcycle, johnsuzuki.com, and they can see about my book. My book is a uh, Amazon bestseller. It's called American Grit. Um, and uh, and yeah, yeah, mm. if they go to my website, they can they can learn about what I'm doing and what's happening and my and get my contact information. Great, great. Debbie, how can people reach you and find out what books you've written? Well, today I'm going to talk about the latest one, which is Local Impact, You Can Make a Difference. And that one, you can get the impact, uh, the impact, you can get the information at mayordebbie.com. Great. And you've been on television uh, promoting this, haven't you? I have. I've been on, uh, well, I was on a TV show this morning and I've got another one tomorrow and I've been on a few, a few of, in the last month yeah. or so. Yes. All, All over right. the country. Famous. Okay. <laughs> hey, really? Like you, Dave. <laughs> Remember, all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts on all your favorite platforms. My number one selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading wisdom all over the world. It's available wherever books are sold. Also, my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever you're struggling with. 30 minutes of wisdom can often resolve a debilitating problem. Again, caregiverdave.com. And don't, of course, don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community, 34,000 caregivers strong, lots of tools, resources, videos, this radio show, and much, much more. And did you know that if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So a true heartfelt thank you to all my listeners out there all over the world and to my guests and my co-hosts for tuning in every Wednesday, making us the number one caregiver radio show on the Internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. 
they know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 